Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome. This is the Investor Coaching Show, and I am Paul Winkler. Talking money and investing. And um, just walking through the stuff going on out there that's making news and, well, some financial planning things once in a while here and there. I'll get into that. So, um, so one of the, when we talk about investing, when we talk about you know, retirement planning and getting to that point where you can let money work for you. Now, of course, what happens with most people? Let me just start off with this. Most people, they don't have a lot of experience in investing because let's face it, that's not what you do. Now, you do something else. And it used to be back in the old days, you worked for a company and you may have worked for that company for your entire life. They put money aside for you in a pension plan. And then what happened is they invested it. They had to know how to invest it. They had a fiduciary responsibility to you. They must do what's in your best interest, in other words. And then when you get to retirement, they're shooting for a period in time at retirement where they're going to pay an income for you for life. And then let's say if you're married, might be paying an income to you and a spouse, and you'll have what's called a survivorship benefit. So a lot of pensions, you know, that's basically the way they work. What would happen is you'd have an actuary that crunches numbers and says, okay, how much money do we have to put away for so-and-so, Susie, let's just put a name to it. And when she reaches age 65, that was the old retirement age, right? Then there will be enough money in that pot to pay out an income of, let's say, maybe 60% of Susie's salary when she was working. And we'll pay that income out every single year for the rest of her life. And let's say she had a 20-year life expectancy such that we're going to have this money is going to run out in exactly 20 years. But, you know, there's always, you know, Johnny who doesn't take as good a care of himself and he's five years later, he passes away. And he was the same thing as, you know, same type of job, same pension, everything as Susie. And what happens five years later, they're paying out Johnny's income and he passes away and they don't have to pay the other 15 years. So what happens is Susie, if she lives longer than that 20-year period, she gets more money because, well, that's, what it would, that's the whole idea. Now, this was what an annuity was designed to do in the very, very first place. This was what they were designed for. They had actually a pretty good use in the very beginning. Now, what has happened is, of course, you always hear me talk about, you know, I don't like them. It's not necessarily that I never like them. It's just they are almost never used for what they were designed for, which is the paying out of income in this particular manner. It's less than 10%. Last time I was looking, it's like 5% of people that buy annuities actually ever annuitize them because they don't like that idea of being Johnny, where you get the payment for five years and then it's gone. Now, there are all kinds of newfangled annuities that say, hey, we not, we're not going to do that to you. You're going to get some of the money back. But what they do is they reduce the income because there's no such thing as a free lunch. 100 pennies in a dollar, as an old mentor of mine used to say. And if they're going to actually pay you 
or pay your heirs if something happens to you prematurely, they're going to have to reduce the income in order to make that work. There's just no other way to do it. You've got to do that. So what happened, and, and here's where it all came from, is when people started to learn about that, they're like, oh my goodness, I don't want that deal. And you still, most people don't want the deal, even with a small payment later on, if they do pass away prematurely. But they, what they do is they go, I don't want that deal. So the insurance companies and the insurance agents who, you know, that's pretty high commission product. You know, annuities are typically very high commission products. In order to get sales and keep them going, you had to have something in there to incentivize people to pull the trigger and buy one of these things. And one of the other things that they do is they say, you know, guaranteed returns, guaranteed it's going to go up. And what they have is what's called a phantom account because phantom, you know, it is what it sounds like. It isn't there. It's fake. It's, you know, basically smoke and mirrors. It's an account that goes up in value, goes up in value no matter what happens with the stock market. It keeps going up and you're going to draw your income off of that account. Now, to the layperson, that sounds really good. Something that goes up can't go down, and it goes up at a fairly high rate. You might see them 6 7% per year. It'll go up. But it's a phantom account because what happens is you have to actually annuitize to actually take the income based on that account value. So it has to actually be distributed or handed over to the insurance company. And the insurance company, this is important, is they are the arbiter for how much income you're going to get. They're determining that number. So I could tell you, hey, you know what? Your, uh, your income writer is a quadrillion dollars. And we're going to pay you $24,000 a year. <laughs> it's like, what? Wait a minute. Quadrillion dollars. What is a quadrillion? I don't even know. <laughs> Leviticus, you know what that is. I don't know what that is. Got a lot of zeros. Yeah, a lot, <laughs> yeah of zeros. Right, a lot of zeros. <laughs> but, you know, you don't even get any control over that, the insurance companies. So I did videos on this in years past where I actually walked through and I said, you could have a much lower account value. And I actually used two different products, real insurance products. And I showed that the lower account value product would actually pay you a higher income than the Phantom Fake Rider product would. So this is one of those things, if you don't get how insurance companies can really rake you over the coals and take advantage of you through smoke and mirrors, you're going to be one of those victims that this happens to. It's just the way it happens, you know, because they're out there to try to sell products to you. So we get into this pension. Let me, let me digress back to the pension. So pensions used to be the deal. Now what happens is people have to invest and they have to choose investments. And a lot of people are choosing target date funds because they say, hey, what year are you going to retire? I'm going to retire 2035. Oh, just put all your money in the 2035 target date fund. And I've talked about this ad nauseum, but I'm not a big fan of those products. because. And, and you look at all the different companies that have them. The Fidelities, the Vanguards, the T. Rowe Prices, the American Funds, you know, fill in the blank. They're, they're, they're in principle and, you know, all this. There are a ton of different products out there, Transamerica. They have different companies that put these things together. But what they have a tendency to do, number one, is their investment, how they're actually investing, can differ pretty significantly. In how they reduce the stock holdings as you get older and increase the bond holdings. Now you go, well, wait a minute. If you have all these different companies with the same exact product as far as when you're going to retire, 2035, 
if you know if, if this this doesn't make sense why would they have different investment management why would it be different are there 18 best ways to manage a portfolio for somebody retiring in the year 2035 does that even make sense to anybody no it, it probably shouldn't oh you know there might be one person that might be a little bit uh, they, they they want a bigger retirement than the other no <laughs> Everybody wants a good retirement. That's kind of goofy. You know, you say, well, one person might be more risk averse. Well, there might be something there. But the reality of it is you don't have the choice between different target date funds in your 401k. You don't have the more risk averse target date fund for, you know, Johnny and the less risk averse for Susie, let's say. So you look at that and go, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why do they have different asset mixes? Well, because here is how investments are marketed to you. They are marketed based on past performance. And if one fund company has an asset mix that's a little different from another one, and it just so happens that that asset mix does better, now they got a marketing advantage. They can go to employers all over the country and say, look, our target date funds are way better than the target date funds you guys have in your 401k. You need to be working with us. That's one thing that happened. So I, I, I could fill in the blanks. There's so many different ways that marketing is used against you. But that's it. You look at that. Why do they have different asset mixes? So what do I prefer? What I prefer is that when you invest, make sure you, know, you look at it. And, and uh, this is typically going to take an advisor to help you out with this stuff, unless you're like really, really sophisticated. And sometimes that's just an illusion. But here's what you're doing. I say it's illusion because I, what else? I'm thinking about something today. I was, oh, I know what it was. I was playing around, Leviticus, you'd appreciate this. I was playing around with recording software because we use recording software to do radio and, and there's, you know, people use it for music and everything like that. Well, I learned how to do something with my recording software today. And I was like, oh man, I'm really, this is exciting. And then I started thinking about it and going, Paul, you don't know anything. You don't know anything. I mean, because I've seen people like, let's say you want to put reverb on a track, for example. Let me just use that as an example, right? You want to put reverb on a track. Well, you can go and put reverb on one track. So you got, let's say you got a, a guitar track, you got a vocal track. Let's just keep it at that. Let's just, let's just make it really simple. But I mean, you could, you might have 18 tracks. You know, you might have, you know, the snare drum track and the bass drum track and you, you can go on and on. But here's the thing. Here, here is the analogy is I have all these different tracks and let's say that I learned how to put reverb on one track. Well, now you got reverb on one track and it doesn't, it, it doesn't fit with anything else in the song, which would kind of, you know, you want a song to sound like everybody was in the same room recording it, right? That's what you want. And yet I learned how to do it on one. So what do people do? They actually take the tracks and they run them through one track that has the reverb on it and they have one adjustment and that's the way you do it. Now, I happen to know that, but let's say that I didn't know that. And let's say that I go, oh, well, I figured, figured this out. You know, I'm, I'm a genius now. And what happens is I become dangerous. And that's exactly what people do. I had an attorney. He knew about the S&P 500. He knew that large U.S. stocks actually operated in more than one country. So he believed that he had international diversification owning the S&P 500. And he didn't have a clue about 
you know, different currencies. So it was, it was an illusion. His knowledge was an illusion. He, he had false confidence. And there's actually, in psychology, a false, it's, a, it's, a, it's an overconfidence bias is what we have it, what we call it. So let's say that you're going and, and you're trying to choose these things. What do you do? Well, what I recommend, and this is what I typically would do with people is, and it depends on the 401k. If you have like lousy choices in your 401k, you may not be able to do this. But typically what I will do is I will go through the 401k and go, okay, so what is the age of the person? You know, what are the assets? What are the different types of income they're going to have in retirement? How dependent are you going to be on your 401k versus Social Security, and if you have a pension someplace else. Let's say if you have a pension and Social Security, and both of those are really, really solid and stable, you don't have to worry about the income you're going to get, I might actually be a little bit more aggressive with the 401k because I'm not going to need it as soon possibly. Or let's say if it's the other way around, I'm going to be really dependent upon, I may actually be a little bit less aggressive if I'm going to do a spend down. You know, because sometimes what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, hey, I'm retiring at 65, but I'm not going to take my social security until age 70. So what you might want to do is actually plan for five years of income from 65 to 70. And then that's going to have to be coming from your other savings. And if your 401k is the only savings, you might want to be way less aggressive with that 401k. Reason being is because I don't want the stock market to be down in the year that I planned on retiring. And then all of a sudden I'm sunk. So your asset mix is really going to be dependent upon your level of income you're going to take, how you're going to take the income, how much you're going to take, if you're going to take a percentage that is well higher than the historic distribution amount that you can take from an asset mix. You know, let's say that, you know, if you look at at research and you say, hey, you know, that, um, and I almost say, hate saying this rule anymore, but it's the 4% rule. You can take a 4%. And the reason I hate saying it is because the industry goes, no, you can't do that anymore. And I'm like, you know, you can't do it the way you guys do it. You have screwed up the way you manage portfolios for so long that the 4% rule, which was based on following very, very specific guidelines, didn't work for you because you didn't follow them. But what you do is you throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't get emotional about this stuff. It just makes me crazy. But, uh, okay, deep breath, Paul, deep breath. Okay, so what happens is let's say that you're going to take 4% or you've got to take more than that you might have to take and literally split apart a 401k and maybe have, you know, when you're in your accumulation phase, 75% of the money in stocks. And then when you physically get to retirement that and you're going to take an income, that might be 60% or 50% or it just depends on the person's situation, how much income they're going to take. But it might be in that. those those that, That's a fairly common neighborhood, 50 to 60% stocks. But you may have a totally separate account off to the side, even in your 401k, that you treat differently. That might be all cash because you're going to retire in three or four years or something like that, let's say. And then you're going to completely spend that asset down. And if you're going to completely spend that down, you probably don't want to have much, if anything, in stocks in that particular part of the portfolio. So this is how 401ks get used. And you look at it and go, well, you know, what do I, what do, I do? How do I, why do I put my money in this thing versus something else? 
It's because what happens when you put money in a 401k, if you do a pre-tax version, you get a deduction on the contribution. So let's say you put $10,000 in it. And let's say that there was such thing as a 20% tax bracket, just to keep the math simple. Well, if you take that as income, you're going to end up with $8,000 because you have to pay 20% in taxes. 20% of 10,000 is 2,000. You got 8,000 left. It goes into whatever, the savings account or whatever. Well, wouldn't it be nice to say, hey, you know, I'm not retiring though this year. Why don't I just go and put the money in the 401k and defer the income to the future? And sometimes you call it deferred income. That's why. Brilliant, huh? Great name, huh? <laughs> so you do that. I defer it. And then in the future, you know, you might be, let's say you're married, might be somewhere in the neighborhood of just, just shy of $30,000 is your standard deduction. And you got $30,000 of income you can take and there's no taxes on it. And you go, wow, that'd be kind of cool. And then, you know, I, I avoided 20% tax and I was able to take it at zero in the future, you know, or you know, some maybe some at 10 and some at 12. And you go, that's why I do that. I defer downward is what we call that. And it's, you know, I call it tax leverage. So that, what happens is that is how 401ks are used and that's why they're used. Now, if you're one of these people that puts it off and puts it off and puts it off, you know, you can actually, if you're, if you're, you know, you can have where your required distribution used to be 70 and a half, you know, that after you took your, uh, after you hit 70 and a half, April 1st by the year, following the year, you turn 70 and a half. Now, I mean, moved to 73 and then, then you know, if you're, and then you, there's a 75 for some people if if you are born a little bit later, uh, you know, so that's basically a way of you have to take the money out. That's what a required distribution is. The government says you got to take this money out. We've never gotten tax money on it. Remember, because it was a deferred comp program and, and you deferred the compensation into retirement and now it's retirement, you better start taking it. So, you know, this is what the way it works. Now, so in essence, those are the types of uh, things that you got to think about when it comes to retirement planning and, and uh, you know, you're just lots of different things that are, are considerations, 401ks, can be pretty complicated, but typically they will give you lots of different options. The reason they give you lots of different options because they know what I'm saying about target date funds. They know that. They know that they're not terribly well diversified, so they do that just so they protect themselves. So typically that is what I would look at. And when somebody comes in and says, hey, I got a 401k, I'm like, get me every option you've got. Bring everything that, you, that they're going to give you access to, and then let's look at it. Because then what we'll do is be able to determine whether there's a better way to diversify than the target date fund. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. 
Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.